Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, we've had a heck of a week. We've, we have, yeah. We, we, were, we did remote. Right. And a lot of response to your article that we did a podcast on. Only, yeah. uh, the Zacchaeus option inspired by Halleck. So good. A lot of good discussion going on out there. David said that when he um, wrote a piece a couple months ago on the Benedict option, somebody tweeted back him, where's the uh, option for people that don't want any options? <laughs> so maybe that would be our future piece together. <laughs> the, uh, the, <laughs> we could, that could be the rich young ruler option. That, that, we'll just the, go away sad. Or the Seinfeld option. It's the option about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and you have a forthcoming piece for the Mockingbird magazine, which has been your uh, first draft was submitted ahead of my abstract. So, yeah, yeah. So there you go. And the good graces of Ethan Richardson, who's a wonderful human being. There he goes. He gets to go right to heaven. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're recording on a Friday, not a Friday night. So we. It's Friday. It's actually Friday dusk. <laughs> Friday dusk. <laughs> Although with daylight savings time or whatever time we're on. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever time we're on. We're, uh, we're syndicated. We're syndicated, yeah. So uh, shout out there to you on Ascension Island there in the middle of exactly. the South Atlantic. Uh, any rate, so um, some interesting articles this week. Um, uh, first of all, by the way, uh, I'm really glad that we're being compassionate as a country and doing away with after-school lunches or after-school meals and uh, Meals on Wheels. We need to nip that kind of meanness in the bud there. Uh, well, you know, I'm actually proposing a compromise position for the neocons and the progressives. My position is going to be meals on drones, and they're armed drones. <laughs> and so they, you know, they actually deliver food to people that need, especially seniors. And well, I actually have about meals and education. I, well, I don't have the, the whole thing, but also, so my original is going to be meals on drones. So they shoot down refugees as they deliver meals, but also an educational component. They can stream Sesame Street to the kids who no longer have PBS. They have the the, the reruns. <laughs> you know, so they stream it, you know, through Wi-Fi and blanket the neighborhood. This is a comprehensive. I'm a reformer and a centrist. Yeah, that's very, that's, that's, that's really a, a great idea. I, I do have to say, I don't know how many of you have actually ever been to an after-school program. When you say a great idea, I feel like, I don't know if it's like, Making America great again in what way? Like, yeah. how great is it? <laughs> yeah. Drones are big, man. Drones are big. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, making America white again is what's going <laughs> on, man. That's actually, by the way, that's what Sessions and Bannon actually mean by that. You know, it's interesting, though. Somebody on MSNBC they're cool. said, I mean, they're, they're on record saying that. That's well, not me making that up. Somebody on MSNBC said it's not about whiteness. And I, I, and I think I was in agreement and said that he's not a white nationalist in that – if you bought into his his understanding of Judeo-Christian traditionalism, it doesn't matter what color you are. It's a kind of – it's interesting. He and Sessions – the woman who uh, – Emily Bazelon was on Fresh Air, I think, talking about he and Sessions. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And she's – you know, th these guys think that a weak point in American civil society was early influx immigration in the early tw 20th century. And it created too much destabilizing too fast, that kind of thing. So – I think that the, the commentary on MSNBC made a fair point that it's not that there are people of color who buy into a kind of Breitbartish ideology that Steve Bannon oh, no, no, is that's okay true. with. That is true. It's yeah. just a kind of view of America that it, 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 it's like we're talking about in our Zacchaeus Option podcast, where even Alistair McIntyre talks about 
traditions, part of their greatness is being able to engage things alien to them, grapple with them deeply and integrate them right. and the questions raised into themselves. So I think that like, even on Alistair McIntyre, I feel bad that now that's become a bad word because he's a great philosopher. Like, Yeah, uh, no, yeah. I think he's made a contribution. It's just sometimes the so what. The what is good. The so what. Sometimes. We should do a tribute next year or something to Alistair McIntyre after he settles down. But I think even McIntyre, a traditionalist, would acknowledge the importance of traditions being open to learning. So I think that's part of the problem that this um, – but in all fairness, it's it's a problem in many traditions on the left, on the right. I mean, we we've seen, you know, uh, Cornell West and uh, Robert George at Princeton just signed a declaration together, far right, far left, and they taught together at Princeton for years. In fact, uh, Robert George in one of their freshman seminars, uh, he had uh, George read from who's a very pious Eastern Catholic. I mean, I think he's actually. I think he's an Eastern Rite Catholic, mm -hmm. Orthodox in belief, but kind of Eastern Rite yes, Catholic. Right. Mm -hmm. And he had um, him read from Luther's The Babylonian Captivity of the Church. And George says, I have to admit, this is one of the best pieces of polemical rhetoric I've ever read. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, that is good stuff. That's like when you, when uh, I admitted that uh, Liel said that Billy Joel was Donald Trump. That's right. Music. I, I think Lee and I would have a lot in common if we ever actually meet. Yeah, yeah well, you've, you've both spent a lot of time in Israel. Well, I, you know, one other, I just want to say something about the after-school program. Um, I worked with one for a couple of years, uh, and, um, you know, <laughs> you, you, don't, you don't know what it is to watch. This is America. Now, I've seen malnourished kids in, uh, you know, other continents and in the rural south. But um, here in the Northeast, I saw a little girl asking if she could have the leftovers from our after-school program food, which was pretty meager anyway, uh, so her little sister could have something to eat. Mm. So um, I said this today on a post that uh, for some kids, with that food they get at the after-school program is the only thing they're going to eat until they go to school the next day. So, I, I, you know, these people making these decisions who don't know what the hell they're talking about or have never actually seen a hungry, poor kid. And, and also, in, in fairness, a lot of... Republicans have have, have spoken out about like, hey, oh, yeah, like yeah. my mother-in-law was on Meals on Wheels. or the, I, mean, I, I think that this is one of those things where I think this is – in every administration, both sides make missteps at times. And I uh, think, yeah. Uh, can I just also say uh, the fact that Trump's wife and son are living in New York and the extra security cost for that is costing about $138 million a year. We could feed a lot of hungry urban kids with that money and a lot of senior citizens who barely can – Buy their food. And so, with some of it, you know what I could do? Get a green screen and a camera. Yeah. I'm sorry. This one, okay, I, we need to move on because I— Green screens are not that much. I'm I've been researching it. I've been researching it. This is audio, but Scott is seeing the fire in my eyes and trying to move me move me along. <laughs> but I'm kind of like, like Bill and I are coming from gay Paris. And then we get back, you know, yeah. we could just, we could just like, that's a new thing we could argue about creatively. Like, where do we want to be in? Like— you know, if we were different podcasts, we had a music interlude right now. What I would suggest would be if I had a rocket launcher by Bruce Coburn. <laughs> I would like to have a rocket launcher right now. Anyway. Remember that scene in uh, The Rock where he's like, do you like uh, Elton John? I don't like weak ass shit. Well, that's too bad. Because uh, you're the rocket man. He pushes the rocket and she's <laughs> That would be what I would do. Yeah, there we go. All right. We need rockets in the bunker, by the way. All right. Well, well. Rockets of love. Rockets. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was a there was a great 
Christian alternative band called the Vigilantes of Love. Oh yeah, they were a great band. Yeah, I, I hung out band. with them one time. They're cool. Yeah, they, yeah. I used to. They used to play yeah. at this conference in Pittsburgh every year. I used to go to. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so um, if we were going to be superheroes as the Vigilantes, what would our costumes be? Can I just wear what I have on right now? <laughs> with a sweater, t-shirt. Well, that's jeans. a listener project. If you could, if you enjoy this podcast, could you just like send us a, a workup, something on the internet, a meme or something? What you think Bill and I would look like in vigilantes of love superhero costumes? All right, very nice, very nice. So, think- so here we are. So we we're into minute nine, the extended monologue, right? So I I sort of want to stay. Let's put Haley in conversation with this article you sent me, which. I sent on to the good folks at Mockingbird, and I think it will probably make an appearance in another weekend. It's called Breaking Faith, the Culture War Over Religious Morality Has Faded. And that's the subtitle. Breaking Faith in the subtitle is The Culture War Over Religious Morality Has Faded, and its place is something much worse. And it's by Peter Beinart. Yeah, and it's the, sum- the summary of the article, it's in Atlantic, uh, so I think it's coming out in the April issue. Um Basically, what he says is because that uh, actually um, the fact that uh, church attendance is going down and people who believe but don't uh, actually practice their faith, um, that actually has he thinks has raised the um, uh, you know raised the uh, what do I want to say here the temperature raised the level of malice in the dialogue. And uh, what's interesting is one of the things that people don't realize, you know, when they talk about evangelicals who voted for Trump, uh, these are evangelicals that don't go to church anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Do you think it's for some of them also Christian has taken an ethnic national connotation in that, well, right. I don't go to church, but I'm, I'm, I'm not Jewish, I'm not Muslim, and I'm not liberal, and so or you know, progress left wing. So, like on some level, there, it, it almost sanctifies their secularity. Yeah, for instance, I know, uh, I know of a uh, one person in particular who just was on the Trump bandwagon and said, like you know, was using the most inflammatory rhetoric against Hillary supporters and uh, you know, using libertard and all that stuff. Um, and this person came out, come, he's raised in a fundamentalist home, but doesn't practice doesn't go to church at all and yet it's so there's i think you're right it's this kind of uh i think he gave i think trump gives voice to those people and uh that see that's see you know you and i've been talking about it. i've actually mentioned this a number of times i grew up in evangelical circles i grew i was born in west virginia and you know raised in as about a conservative area as you could be raised in south central pennsylvania but the kind of evangelicalism that nurtured me would never have supported someone like Donald Donald Trump. Um, now, I do think people like Falwell and uh, Franklin Graham. Uh, I think, in lo- some levels, they hitched, uh, you know, to this wagon in part because of they think that he kind of like some levels, like Sessions and and Bannon, you know, kind of were using Trump. They think that certain kind of cultural liberal values can be stopped through this guy. Uh, but I think a lot of the rank and file are not people, people who believe in God, but it, you know, it's the, you know, the, you know, uh, I don't care if it rains or freezes as long as I have my plastic Jesus sitting on the dashboard of my car. I mean, it's kind of this good Lord theology that they may or may not ever in, enter into a church. I mean, I, I'm living, you know, I'm only four years, four, four years, I'm only four miles from you, but 
my demographic, that's my demographic. You know, the people who are culturally conservative, who call themselves Christians, don't come to church. And those are the folks that have Trump signs on their yards or had Trump signs on their yards. Yeah. But your congregation is very, I would say, a, a crowd marked by genuine piety. Yeah, they're, they're, they, they really are the kind of evangelicalism I grew up in. I mean, there's a sense where um, they think from their faith first. They may have natural inclinations towards, you know, being conservative, but their faith, uh, you know, their faith brings critique to that. I mean, and again, I would hope that, uh, you know, if you if you lean liberal, I would hope that your faith would bring critique to that as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So and also after our Ash Wednesday dialogue sermon, which I still have to post, I got to get that up. Uh, somebody asked me, what was it you guys were saying? And they took notes on me after the sermon. I've never had someone ask me that. That was very kind. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, they're, they are, I'm, I mean, I literally, I mean, I grew up around people who studied their Bible, read their Bible. If it said it in the Bible, that created you know, they had to take that seriously. So, for instance, turning away the stranger, uh, neglecting the poor, uh, those are things that, you know, they, they were conservative. They would vote Republican. But if there was somebody in need, they would immediately help them. And so this so there was, it was, um, you know, I, you know, I would love to see the compassionate conservatism come back. Where are you, Jack Kemp? Uh, well, he's in heaven. But, uh, you know, I, I do think there, there was a sense where the Bible trumped their ideology. And now Trump trumps everything, I think, for those folks. It's huge. Yeah, in his mind. This is a very, very special podcast. It's, 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 we're good people. We're tre- we are tremendously good podcasters. I, you know, I, I have to admit, I have to apologize. I think I, this whole thing about kids just got me angry at the beginning. So I'm not my usual rational, fair self. I'm still mad that Billy Bush had to take the, felt like <laughs> Jesus on the cross. <laughs> Yeah, you know, all he did was laugh at a horrible comment, and then B- Billy Bush has to be banned from public life. Billy Bush died for our sins. Yeah, Billy, who died for Donald's sins. That's yeah, for sure. That's I'm for just sure. saying, why is Billy? Why, you know, I'd like to see Donald do a presidential social pardon. Billy Bush's. Here we go. We could that could be T-shirts. Free Billy Bush. Free Billy Bush. He, he got a huge buyout, so I think he's doing okay. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, this article I think is worth reading just because it— What it, would it cost to buy you out if somebody wanted your chair in your persuasive words? Oh, my gosh. I, could, I would go pretty cheap right now. <laughs> <laughs> Please tell me it would be at least $500. Oh, yeah, $500. <laughs> yeah, $5. And a— Josh, Josh Redder right now is making a checkout. Check, and it has to be— a, And so is Steve Lipless. And a case, it's a bidding war. And a case of really good wine for a year, every right. month. You guys hear that? You, you guys, it's a bidding war. <laughs> But we digress. We, I think this feels like this is one long, this, this podcast is a digression, but that's okay. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what, at the end of the day, I've been thinking about, and this is going to sound so insane, uh, but I've been thinking about a video I posted that I saw. I, I post a lot of dumb animal videos. And it was a kitten and a puppy who were in a shelter and they become buddies. And they, you know, they didn't, they weren't, because they were so small, there was daylight between the ceiling and their plexiglass separation and the wall. And the kitten fought and fought and fought to get in the same, you know, cell cage, like plexiglass holding thing as her puppy little buddy. And then they just like, and there's different species. And then I saw another video actually that I posted, which I'm that person uh, that, <laughs> about like a, a dog and a duck and they from puppies to adulthood, they've been best friends. And it just, you know, I'm thinking about Halix thought about like love as the interpretive grid of faith and hope. And so even at the level of 
mammals and then even mammals and birds. Like there's this capacity for connection. There's actually this capacity, not just between a kitten and a puppy, which are both mammals, although cat fans, dog fans are going to disagree that, <laughs> you know, what, if they should both exist. But, and even between a duck and a dog where their, their eyes, the connection, the warmth that like they can learn each other's behaviors enough that they can be connected. And I think this is like these simplistic and cute, uh, but deep videos, what they like, this is what, you know, it's funny because they were talking to MSNBC uh, a couple hours ago about relationships and how one of the criticisms of Obama was he didn't cultivate them enough. Right. And that was a huge problem. And George W. Bush did it very well. I mean, like spent a lot of time with with Tony Blair and Joe Merkel. I mean, he spent a lot of, even with Putin, you know, like, uh, although, you know, when he said, when I look at that guy's (laughs) I saw his soul and McCain said, I just see three letters, K, G, and B, <laughs> you know, right. but, you know, but I mean on that, you know, and they were talking about how, yeah, every foreign policy expert tell you sometimes that personal relationship changes the course of events. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I, I'm thinking like, um, now we don't get to see each other as much as we used to, but there's a per, I mean, he's like a brother to me. Uh, and, uh, um, I thought you were talking about me because of the blizzard. No, no. And it's still very, you are, it's you still are, very, you, still are, you, are, you are like a brother to me and I get to see you, but this guy, I mean, we disagree politically about almost everything. Now we, you know, not care for the poor, but you know, we, we, we would cancel each other out almost in every presidential election. But he would die for me, and I would die for him. He's been there for me on my worst days, and you know I've been there on some of his worst days. And our love for each other, our bond is brothers in Christ. Um, and and we're both political. We both are political people, man. He's worked for campaigns, but mm. but um, but that you know that you know we will sometimes go at each other. Then we'll just kind of smile. Okay, let's let's not talk about this anymore because. Uh, our unity in Christ is greater than any difference that our politics would be. I think I've told you a story. There was this, you know, we used to, you know, you and I were part of a presbytery that would fight every once in a while. And uh, one of, another minister and a vote was coming up and I, I was talking to him. I said, you know, you and I are going to cancel each other's vote out. Let's just go get a drink. And we did. And that was much more edifying. So part of what this article is saying, the fact is, Without a religious connection, you know, you may have it in your mind, but without a, without a, without a commitment to a community, there's not a context in which to, you know, uh, mitigate or modify your rhetoric for something bigger. I mean, the the, the the gospel for Christians are one is one faith, one you know, one church, one baptism, one Lord trumps. And I keep using that word; I have to find up a new word, but that cancels everything else out. And um, and so part of my problem with liberal Christians was they didn't believe in anything enough. They believed in their causes, and they were willing to bring down denominations because of their cause. Well, there are conservatives and people – I don't even know what ideology would call them, some of these people that are backing Trump. They're willing to destroy our, our what's really right about our country uh, for their ideology. And, and those of us who are Christians, regardless if you voted for Trump – or uh, you know how I feel about it. Uh, I don't. You don't. I, I, I don't. I, I, don't. <laughs> I haven't been open. Enough. I've been subtle. I don't. That's a great stage about this life of my this this stage of my life and my career. All those years where I had to bite my 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 lip. I don't have tongue. I don't have to do that anymore. But what I'm saying is, our unity in faith is bigger than any division politically or ideologically. And I I think that. 
you know, those of us who hold to faith, who who feel strongly about what's going on in this country, need to somehow regroup with people who disagree with us on what's going on in this country. Yeah, and also maybe just like begin to see each other more in terms of humanity than your politics or or your culture wars. By the way, do you think like all things being equal, we'd have rather fought in the PCA? Or no, no. Okay. I, no. Just ask. See, I grew up. I grew up. I grew up around fundamentalists. I got tired of the jot and tittles, you know, of arguments. I wouldn't say the PCA is fundamentalist. That's right wing. It's conservative theologically. I mean, I didn't want to say I, right wing. If you, I want to, it's conservative. If you have a view of an inerrancy, I would disagree with that. They're they're fundamentalist. I I disagree with that. All right, we'll agree. To they're disagree. one of their. I mean, the OPC. We'll agree to disagree. Right, we'll agree to disagree. Bill, this is my one of my centuries. <laughs> one of the few. I mean, I, I, I right, I'll, 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 I'll give you the century. So I just want to say um, you can have this century, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> you can have it, and you know what? Anyway. So okay, I'll just we've already read this, but I just want to conclude with this quotation. And next podcast, we'll go back to our exposition of Halleck, which. As uh, David Zoll gave us a nice shout out on the podcast today, and uh, I said, uh, there is no terminus in sight yet for yeah. uh, for the Halix series. I mean, it ends when it ends. So. Because once we get done with this book, we'll go back and reread exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Well, actually, yeah, we didn't work through those. So, yeah. this is, so if you don't like Halix, uh, we could, listen. What, what podcast could they listen to? We could uh, Theology on Mission with our friends, Brother <laughs> Jeff and Dave Fitch. Crackers and Grape Juice is a fine religious podcast. Uh, a really well-produced one, the best podcast in the internet, Unorthodox. We love three Jews who have never read Halleck and probably won't talk yeah. about him. Uh, Dan Lebetard. Dan Lebetard. Which is a sports show. Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin. Anyway. This is going to be all Halleck all the time for a few more episodes. <laughs> but I love when he says, um, he's talking about Nietzsche and the whole dramatic scene where the the – Guy bursts into town, shouts, God is dead, God is dead, right. and the bourgeois are confused. At the same time, I felt that the message, God is dead, is only the first sentence, which must be followed by another, a second sentence, in the same way that Good Friday was an important message to us from God, but it was not the final one. God is dead. That sentence uttered at the end of the 19th century continues to fascinate for the next hundred years. Maybe it was not only a sentence about God and against God, but also one containing something of God's message to us, a God who has not endured death is not truly living, a faith that does not undergo Good Friday, can not attain the fullness of Easter. Crises of faith, both personal and in the histories of culture, are an important part of the history of faith, of our communication with God who is concealed and returns again to those who do not stop waiting for the unique and eternal word to speak to them once more. So yeah, I mean, I mean, our uh, God is living even when our lives feel confusing and we think our politics or our hopes or our dreams or our culture or whatever seems dead, that there is a God that promises that life can come from death. Yes.
I'm weary.